I'm Bridget from Little Rock, Arkansas, a student pharmacist attending the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. Well, greetings and welcome to the Pharmacy Forward podcast. This is Stuart Haynes from the University of Mississippi. And my co-host today is Lamar Haynes, a PGY1 community pharmacy practice resident. And although Lamar and I share the same last name, we're not actually related, or at least we don't think we are. Yes. Hello, everyone. Lamar here. Um, I'm excited to record this episode of the Pharmacy Forward podcast because we're talking about life domains and life satisfaction. We'll talk some of the ingredients um, for well-being and living a satisfied life and how overall sense of well-being has kind of eroded in recent years. And we'll talk about some of the most effective and evidence-based self-care practices that you may wish to consider adopting. So today's topic is one that I hope everyone will find relevant because people in the workplace, not just pharmacists, but physicians, nurses, teachers, well, just about everyone is facing greater challenges and more demands than ever before. And cynicism and disillusionment are becoming more and more commonplace. And many health professionals express career regret and discouraging young people from pursuing careers in pharmacy and nursing and even medicine. Uh, This can be really discouraging to student pharmacists and residents and other budding professionals who are entering the workplace, thinking that their chosen career path might lead them to feeling unfulfilled and dissatisfied. And there's a ton of research on how stress impacts us both physically and mentally, and how dissatisfaction in one domain of a person's life can take the joy out of the other life domains. I know that this is absolutely something I want to learn more about, So I'm sure there are others that are interested as well. I was fortunate enough to have a year of work experience as a pharmacist before starting my residency. So I've gotten to see and experience some of the negative consequences of stress firsthand. My experiences have made me more aware of how important it is to address the stressors in our lives and to find meaning and purpose in a balanced life so that I can remain committed and engaged in what I'm doing. So we have two terrific guests today, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Buckley, or Beth, who is on faculty at Concordia University, Wisconsin School of Pharmacy. Dr. Buckley's work has included topics around self-care in the curriculum at Concordia and is a key leader for the well-being and resilience community in the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy. And Cynthia Napdalugos is a pharmacist solopreneur and one of the country's first nationally board certified health and wellness coaches. She's had more than 20 years of experience in mindfulness-based practices and speaks frequently on topics related to mindfulness, well-being, resilience, work-life integration. So Beth, Cynthia, it's great to have you both on our show today, and I'm looking forward to hearing your insights. Hi, this is Cynthia. I'm so grateful for the invitation to be here and the opportunity to share today. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you for inviting me to participate to talk about one of my favorite subjects. We'll dive right into our first question. Um, I know there isn't really one recipe for happiness, and every person values different things. But what would you say are the key ingredients for for well-being and for living a satisfied life? 
I couldn't help but think when you asked this question is that if I could answer that question succinctly, I would be answering it right now from my yacht floating somewhere out in the Caribbean because I would be so wealthy from the self-help book I had written. <laughs> and uh, I w- so I, I wish I could say that very simply that here are the key ingredients of living a satisfying life. Instead, I will respond from my perspective of my years of experience with mindfulness-based practices. And I say years of experience because back when I was introduced to mindfulness, it wasn't really as popular as it is today. So you had to work a little harder to find training. And most of the training came through people who had learned it from the Buddhist perspective. So my answer comes filtered through Buddhist psychology. And that is that I believe that the key to a satisfying life, one of the key ingredients of well-being, is learning to accept things the way they are, meaning that much of our dissatisfaction, much of our stress, comes from wanting things to be a way other than they are. We want to hang on to what we want. We want to push away what's unpleasant. And we tend to add additional layers of psychological suffering to the way we engage with our experiences. Uh, For me, this is hard to articulate in a short amount of time. So I'll start also where it began for me. Uh, When I went to Guatemala on a mission trip over a decade ago, it was the first time that I saw gratitude real gratitude in people that didn't have much, but they seemed to have everything. And I wanted to feel that and capture that in my life. So I came back and started my journey. And of all of the different things I used to start coming into my own gratitude, grace, authenticity, I'd say that the the best representation of it is the UW Center for Healthy Minds with their Healthy Minds program. They separate it down into four pillars or tenets, awareness, connection, insight, and purpose. Personally, for me, I would also add my favorite practices that I've come to incorporate just into daily life and teaching through mindfulness and learning how to be in the present moment. And those are my gratitude and grace. Well, I think we can all agree that the pandemic has taken a toll on on all of us. But even before the pandemic, our collective sense of well-being is measured through a variety of surveys that have been administered over the last few decades. This sense of well-being, this collective sense of well-being, has really eroded, and, and people feel pulled in a million different directions. The need to excel at their jobs or at school, to spend quality time with their family, their friends, their spouse, to engage in meaningful hobbies to engage with their church or a spiritual community, to be involved with their kids' sports teams, and by the way, doing community service work too. So I think a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed. But the thing is, 50 years ago, people had jobs and they had families and friends and they went to church and they had hobbies. And by the way, they volunteered to do community service work but they were not as stressed out as we are today. So something has changed. And I'm wondering what you think those potential causes are. Well, I've actually been around for those 50 years (laughs) that you just mentioned, Stuart, when things were changing. And I 
really was trying to think of what what is it that has changed so much? Because I, like you just spelled out, I am feeling overwhelmed and stressed and in a way that I feel I didn't used to. It seems that it just keeps getting worse. And the changes were really brought home to me over Thanksgiving weekend when I traveled by air to visit my family. And the changes that have occurred in air travel over the 50 years really to me are a, uh, a mirror of what's just happened in general in society. Back in the day, and I know there are many of you listening to this podcast who probably never experienced what I'm about to say. You used to just show up at the airport, walk to your gate, and get on the plane. Uh, there was no security check. Maybe, maybe you used to go through a metal detector, but there wasn't the security we have today. There weren't the multiple checks. And so you just went to your gate and you got on the plane. And the, the, when you sat in your seat, there was a pillow and a blanket waiting for you. And they brought you food. No matter how short the flight was, you got some kind of food. So it was very easy to prepare for a trip, right? You pretty much, you got your ticket you went to the airport, you got on the plane, boom. So what was my recent experience traveling for Thanksgiving? I have a checklist that I go through a day or two before I travel to make sure I have charged the five, six different devices that I need to make sure are at full power so that I can get on the plane. I have another checklist to make sure I've brought all of the things that I know are not going to be part of my journey anymore. Do I need to have some food? Do I need to have a pillow or a blanket or some kind of wrap because I don't know if it's going to be hot or cold in the plane and I know that they won't help me. And then when I get, when I'm done with the trip, I'm immediately expected to review every single thing I've done, right? I get, a, I get something from the airline. How was your trip? I get something from the hotel. Please post a review for us, letting us know how things were. I used to come home from a trip and that was that. My trip was done. So it, so things, there's just so much more these days. And to me, there's more in almost every aspect of life. It used to be uh, that I would be able to just say, check my voicemail recorder. I, I could just see who left some voice messages for me on a landline. Now, every day, I think I check four or five at least different sources of have people been trying to get in touch with me somehow, right? I have to check email and I have more than one account. I have two different phones that I have to check or a text. Thank goodness I'm not, to me, thank goodness I'm not very much engaged in social media or I'd have to be checking all of that too. There's just so many more expectation these days and the rapidity of how of when people expect responses has changed dramatically too over the years. Everything just keeps getting faster and faster and there's more and more demands and it's just increasingly difficult to to manage with the limited number of hours we all have, all of us have in our days and our weeks. Cynthia, I completely agree that technology plays a, a very important role here. Our attention spans are shortened and there's so many things that are competing for our attention. Although I think it's both internal and external. I was thinking about this recently as I noticed the stress level of our students seems to be 
just at its highest that it's ever been. And as I looked at the ASCII that I gave 11 years ago and realized the difference in difficulty and workload came from our advances in technology, it was profound. Just 11 years ago, it was all on paper. We now have an online preparation and electronic health record component before and after, more resource choices, and it's all moved from paper to online, but each has added a complexity for the student and us. Along the other lines of the technology taking our attention, I recently was in a meeting with several people that are above my pay grade, I'll put it, and noticed that throughout the meeting, several would look at their watches. And at first I just thought, well, they must have someplace else to be. But then it occurred to me that they're wearing the iWatch. So they're checking their emails and their texts and social media or whatever it is during their meeting, which means that no one is present in the room with anyone else. We have all these competing things. We're less present. We're less focused. We're more scattered. Even in the room with me right now, I have a cell phone, an iPad, a second screen. It's all competing for my attention, even during this podcast. It's interesting to hear your thoughts on what's contributed to this collected sense of anxiety. And perhaps because so many people are feeling stressed out, uh, there's been a lot more interest in researching happiness and the positive psychology movement um, as identified several evidence-based self-care practices that can help. What are some of the practices that you recommend that we consider adopting? So... I'd like to talk about my top three that have a mountain of evidence behind it. First is mindfulness, being in this moment. The importance of that, I can't even stress enough, and it's just a simple pause bringing us back to this moment, noticing everything around us, being here. The second one that means the most to me at this time is yoga and just physical well-being, breathing, centering, and connection. As I have started my 200-hour yoga journey to become certified in teaching yoga, I've just realized how much more there is beyond the physical movement that goes with it. My third favorite is just connection with nature. I think when we have all of the technology around us, everything competing for our priorities, that we have a lot of experiences that are online that isn't necessarily real. It's not the same as walking outside and using our senses for that firsthand experience to notice the rhythm of our breath, our beating heart, how it feels to have the wind and the sun on our face, seeing the colors of the blue skies and the orange skies at night, all without technology, all real experiences. When I do recommend technology, it's to get started to learn these skills and then to practice without it. So when I first added mindfulness to my course, I would use different apps and websites to play different things and then discuss with my students. And now I simply lead it myself to role model how we don't need an outside source. We simply need to enhance the skills within ourselves. So use the apps, use the websites, connect with wonderful people like Cynthia that can be our coaches and our teachers, and then eventually become your own teacher. I would like to follow up on what Beth just mentioned. I am also a longtime yoga practitioner and a longtime meditator. And Beth mentioned mindfulness as one of the practices. And I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that concept of mindfulness. Mindfulness really is, it's not a practice so much as it is a a state 
let's call it a state of being. One definition we can use is that mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment with a sense of receptivity, non-judgment, and compassion toward whatever is arising. So it is so it's not just being in the present moment, it's being in the present moment in a particular way that again feeds out of Buddhist psychology. I don't mean to imply when I say that that anyone needs to be a practicing Buddhist. I don't consider myself to be a practicing Buddhist. Buddhist psychology though is a way of uh, working with the mind. It's certain concepts about how our mind works that have actually been incorporated into a lot of Western psychology these days. So mindfulness, this quality of attention in the present moment, how do we cultivate it? And to me, that's what yoga and meditation do. Yoga is actually a way of cultivating mindfulness. In yoga, Typically, you are focusing on some sensations in your body or in in something uh, specific that you're doing in, in a pose, in an asana. And that is a way of directing your attention and noticing what's happening in the present moment and ideally letting go of striving, right? Letting go of ego. Oh, I'm no good at this pose. Oh, I can't do this pose. But that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about noticing what's happening for you. In the same way, meditation really is a way of learning to focus your attention. Meditation can be many things, but one of the primary things it can be is learning to focus your attention. Because if we go back to this concept in Buddhist psychology, that our psychological state depends not so much on our particular circumstances, but on how we relate to the circumstances, Being able to notice that our attention is pulled away from the present moment, that we are being either sucked into the past or propelled forward into the future and caught up, say, in a a spiral of thoughts that's only making our present situation worse, only exacerbating the stress or discomfort that we're feeling. Learning to notice that that's what's happened to your attention that that's where you're focusing and redirecting it to this just what is happening right here, right now in front of me, and using that pause, that pause to choose something different, to make a different response. I don't have to be thinking about how many people are waiting to have a prescription filled or what that screen in front of me is saying about how far behind in work I am getting. What is it that's happening right now? And what do I need right now? What is it that is going to change the way I'm relating to this present moment? And that to me is the amazing promise and potential of mindfulness-based practices. And it is simple, but it's not easy. So I don't want to leave this question without mentioning that this is not necessarily easy to learn on your own. So I encourage people, seek out a teacher, seek out a wellness coach, seek out a therapist. Uh, I struggle with anxiety, and I can tell you that uh, a round of cognitive-based therapy that I did was one of the best things I've ever done for myself in my life. So know that there are teachers and help out there and take advantage of them. 
I wanted to add that so this morning for my meditation, I was listening to Insight Timer, and for the interview, they asked the the guru, how do we obtain bliss or how do we obtain happiness? And in three minutes, he described something very simple. He said, tomorrow morning, there will be a million people who don't wake up. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, if you wake up tomorrow morning, feel that. Feel blessed right away that you did wake up. And if all of the people that you love and care about also wake up tomorrow morning, feel that too. And that was just the simple thing he gave. It just starts with making a small change in how we see the world, how we see ourselves within the world, and something as simple as that, waking up and deciding that we're blessed to have a life because we're mortal. I thought that was profound. Cynthia and Beth, that's that's terrific advice. And I certainly believe that individuals have a responsibility to attend to their own well-being. But I also think there are structural problems that have contributed and and no amount of yoga or meditation is going to erase what's happening in the environment. And so I, I think there needs to be a, a, some shift of you know focus from always expecting individuals to make changes in their behavior and their response to the world to also examining how organizations should be contributing to the well-being of their employees and at a cultural level you know what are we doing as a culture to uh, attend to our well-being and i think there's growing awareness that organizations need to create an environment that's conducive to well-being and I think while this is good for employees, it can also have a beneficial effect for the organization as it tries to improve retention or productivity and, and performance. So what are some of the things that organizations can do to create a culture of well-being? So first, I agree, it's not necessarily offering training on self-care. Sometimes it's the environment itself that can have a significant effect on well-being. So at the St. Louis University School of Medicine, they changed course contact and contact hours and scheduling and grading to pass fail and longer electives and learning communities. So it was a variety of things that worked for their organization and truly showed lower levels of depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, and stress. So I think what matters is starting with leaders making it something that everyone buys into, and then doing an assessment to figure out what can work within that organization. Beth, that was just so beautifully put, and especially, Beth, coming from the perspective of working in an organization and what organizations can do. I'm a a solopreneur, I'm self-employed. So if I have any issues with my work environment, (laughs) I have to take it up with the boss who's, you know, me. So I wanted to highlight two books in my response. And the first is Brene Brown just came out with a book titled Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. She talks a lot about concepts that are very relevant to what we're discussing today. But what I wanted to focus in on specifically from this book is that she has a a section on stress and overwhelm. And she says about stress, we feel stressed when we evaluate environmental demand as beyond our ability to cope successfully. 
This includes elements of unpredictability, uncontrollability, and feeling overloaded. And I read that and thought to myself, my gosh, what more perfectly encapsulates what so many pharmacy students, pharmacists, healthcare professionals, just people are feeling these days, right? Environmental demand beyond our ability to cope successfully, especially when that demand is unpredictable or uncontrollable and feeling overloaded. Going back to the Buddhist psychology aspect of, of why we feel so stressed, you know, what can we personally do about it? It's our strong desire to control things that makes us suffer more in a particular circumstance. And what's stress? It is, it is an inability to uh, manage the uncontrollability, right? So we've, we've been talking a lot about what can we do as individuals, but we really need to be having this dialogue about what is it that organizations can do to, uh, to address this environmental demand. And the second book that I would like to draw people's attention to is a book by Jennifer Moss, who is a journalist and author and speaker, but who publishes frequently in the Harvard Business Review. And and this is a book that was put out by the Harvard Business Review Press. It's called The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. And she very much in this book addresses organizational responsibility for making the environment better. To me, the the analogy I always think of about this topic is one of my favorite I Love Lucy episodes. And I always wonder, especially younger people, if I say I Love Lucy, have you all seen every single episode of that like I did? Because when I was young, any TV channel you turned on basically at any time during the day was showing a rerun of I Love Lucy. Even if you never saw those episodes, you might have seen this clip where, where Lucy and her, her friend and, and frequent companion in hijinks, Ethel, Lucy and Ethel, uh, for some reason, get a job in a chocolate factory. And they have a very strict supervisor who puts them on the line and, and explains to them what they need to do, which I believe they need to pick up the chocolate and put it in a wrapper and then put it back down on the line. And the, the line starts and they're going along thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing this okay. And then the line starts to speed up and it, it gets a little more challenging. And then it gets very, very fast. And then the comedy in the in the skit is that it, it's so fast that they're just, they're taking these chocolates and doing whatever they can with them. They're, they're stuffing them down the front of their shirts. Lucy takes off this like sort of chef hat she has on and starts shoving chocolates into the into the hat just they start eating them and stuffing them in their mouths just just to get them off the belt I think because they were told that if any chocolates get by them you know that that go to the next station unwrapped they're going to be in a lot of trouble so uh, and then the supervisor comes out and says okay well you know you seem to have done pretty good with this test you know not realizing that they they have their mouths full of chocolate she says okay Put the line up to full speed. And then, you know, the, the chocolates just come, start coming out at this pace that's so ridiculous. You have to just sit there and laugh. But that's like our life, isn't it? We, we, we talking about how things have changed over the past 50 years, it, things just keep getting faster and faster and faster. And the bar just keeps getting raised about how much can we do? How much can we do in the time we have? How can you be more efficient? How can you get more done? And we are not 
machines. We are not robots who can be programmed to keep up with a certain pace of a conveyor belt and picking up chocolates. We have limits and we are constantly pushing those limits. And right now, it seems like in so many areas of life, especially it seems like the pandemic brought this into such clear relief that too much is being asked of us. And it is, in Brene Brown's words, it is an environmental demand that's beyond our ability to cope successfully. So we seem to be at a point right now that is just inviting so many different areas to look at what is being expected of people. And is that realistic? And how do we change it? How can we make the environment something that people can cope with more easily? What are the changes that need to be made in the work environments so that people can manage the environmental demand, can cope successfully with that, so that that organizations aren't dealing with people who have been pushed to their limits, who are so crispy fried that they can't even function? And that's the challenge. So it is, yes, on the one hand, as individuals, we need to learn to not bring that second level of psychological stress to our environment, but clearly our environments need to change. Beth, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us today for the Pharmacy Forward podcast. Uh, This was truly profound for me. You both gave me chills multiple times through this. Um, And I certainly hope that I'm able to put some of these ideas and thoughts that you have into practice for myself. Just some key things that our listeners and I can take away. So learning to be happy where you are and being grateful for the situation that you're in. We as a people are potentially too reliant on technology. And rather than it simplifying things in the way that we thought it would, it has now caused more of this now world that we live in. And then also finding something that can help you be more mindful and present. So whether that's yoga or meditation or just doing something that grounds you. Yes, Beth, Cynthia, thank you so much for speaking with us today. And my wife and I are very involved in this area as well, but there's so much more to learn. And I think particularly about the way organizations both contribute to the stress and burnout that exists in our world today, but also how they can be potential solutions to this. And I think that's really the the 2.0 of the well-being and wellness journey that we need to take as a society and as organizations. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit pharmacycpd.org. That's pharmacycpd.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.